You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. Up to date wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. Welcome back. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. I'm Steve Kraske. Photographer Jeremy or Jeremiah Rays recently took a trip to his home state of Kansas as part of a larger project to discover what democracy looked like in rural America. He eventually found himself in the newsroom of a small rural newspaper. The visit inspired him to look at more than 100 other newsrooms in Kansas, documenting the shrinking number of outlets that serve rural communities. He joins us now to discuss what he saw in his journey across Kansas. And Jeremiah, welcome. Nice to have you. I should point out that Jeremiah is now an art professor at Louisiana State University, and he received his Bachelor's of Fine Arts at the Kansas City Art Institute. So lots of rural roots here. Well, Jeremiah, I understand the thing that originally prompted this visit back to your home state was an interest in documenting what democracy looked like in rural America. Can you explain what you were trying to find there? Yeah, it started just prior to the 2020 election, and it felt like such a turbulent time in our country, and I, an, an important time to document, and I just tried to imagine what does democracy look like in rural America. And so I started photographing in the battleground states of the country and photographed things like small-town campaign offices, uh, sites of protest, um, and I also photographed in these newspaper offices. And it, it immediately struck me that the material was so rich that it should stand alone as its own project. And so after photographing newspaper offices really across the country, I thought a better approach would be to return to my home state of Kansas and photograph the newspaper offices there, where I could try to photograph all the newspaper offices that remained in the state. What drew you so much to rural newspapers, Jeremiah? What was it about them that drew your attention as powerfully as it did? Well, when I first went into an office in Sublette, Kansas, um, I'd actually been invited in by the editor who saw me making a photograph, and he wanted to show me something he thought I'd be interested in, and that was the dark room. And so immediately there was a connection to the history of the medium in which I was practicing, photography. Here's this thing which uh, in the larger um, sink, um, the supplies, uh, photo negatives. And I was thinking about that history and I was also thinking about how the history of those communities are contained in those offices. Hmm. In their bound archives lies the story of those towns. You actually wound up taking a sabbatical from Louisiana State to do this work. I gather it was that important to you? It very much was, and that urgency was really thrust upon me when I went to offices and I found the doors to be closed. 
and I looked in some of those uh, newspaper offices that I've gotten the address for on Google that I had thought they were still in operation, and I arrived to find the doors locked. And I remember going up to the Emporia Gazette. It's a stately, beautiful, two-story building, and the name is chiseled on the front facade. I walk up, and there's these grand wooden doors, and there's bronze door handles just of lions, the heads of lions carved into them. And I try to pull it open, and the door is locked. Hmm. And I'm looking in the window, and I'm seeing a largely empty room, but I'm seeing the office where William Allen White, the famed editor, had once worked. And um, luckily, the Emporia Gazette is still in operation. It's in a much smaller office around the corner with a much reduced staff. But I was going to uh, town after town and finding a similar situation hmm. with uh, these doors locked, the signs still hanging in the entrance of, uh, on the front of the building. And it just felt like if I'm not doing this right now, I, these places might not be right. long enough for me to do it. I'm glad you mentioned the connection to William Allen White, because when you talk about the Emporia Gazette, Jeremiah, that's just not any rural newspaper. That's a newspaper of some note in the history of American journalism. Absolutely. Um, and, and I wanted this project to really champion those, uh, those people that are working in the industry, uh, champion those people that, uh, that lead up these newspapers. And sometimes I've found that they're one-person operations, uh, places like uh, the White City Prairie Post, uh, the Wabunji County Signal, um, the Coldwater uh, Kansas newspaper, the uh, Western Star. These places were being run by singular figures, and that just really su surprised me. And I wondered if when that person is retired or passes, will those newspapers continue? Yeah. And um, there's just such a direct line through the Kansas newspapers to William Allen White and even earlier the map editors that worked in the state. You know, the Pointer Institute, which uh, covers journalism, did a story about your project that just came out a few days ago. It describes some of what you found in these newsrooms, and I wanted to read just one paragraph about some of these papers. Uh, the Pointer Institute said this, The colors, textures, and objects inside the newsrooms he visited felt archival, too. Uh, arrays found dark wood wood paneled walls with a portrait of William Allen White in the former home of the Emporia Gazette, which had recently relocated. In the former office of the Norton Telegraph, there's a boxy computer monitor. In Wathena, the 165-year-old Kansas chief has stained mint walls and yellowed maps. Wow. What images do you remember best? <laughs> Gosh, you know, the time in the Emporia Gazette, there's a portrait that was described near the entrance. It's on this wood paneled wall that's catching the light. There's a stairwell off to the side that is being illuminated, the yellow uh, of the walls uh, coming to life due to an upstairs light. There, in the Emporia Gazette as well, there were these shelves that had once contained, I don't know, just... Um, all the things you might find in the newspaper office, I guess, but they had been emptied out and there, it was a wall of shelves 
and there were doors to them. And I went through every one of them looking for anything that remained. And in the very last one that I opened on the top left corner was a book called First Amendment Freedoms. Mm. And now with that door open and looking at it in this otherwise vacated office, it just struck me. Hmm. And I would find these symbols um, again and again, uh, the American flag printed on newspaper, hung in an office, now faded, seemed to give some visualization for the threats to democracy that we are facing now. Yeah. I'm visiting with photographer Jeremy, Jeremiah Reyes about his project uh, shooting uh, fading away rural newspapers across the state of Kansas. In Manhattan, Kansas, you shot a photo, and I love this, of the bound archives of grass and grain, which I gathered was a trade publication of some kind. These bound copies were a uniform red, though the red had faded a bit from edition to edition, and they were from, you know, what, 1979, from 1964, from 1983, Jeremiah. I mean, that really struck me, too. That's exactly the kind of thing you'd find in a newsroom. (laughs) Those archives, both at the Grass and Grain and Manhattan, but at other newspapers, also became a primary subject for me because, again, these were just quite literally holding the history of these communities in their archives. And I had found that sometimes when, a, when one of the newspapers would close, what would happen to these archives? What mm-hmm. would happen to that history? And I talked to several editors about that. And in one newspaper at the Newton, Kansan, they had recently moved to a new location and those bound archives were left in that vacant building and they were sitting on the top floor they just didn't have any room for them in the new office. Um, they weren't able to find somebody to take them. And, and so these physical objects that contain that history are something that I would photograph in pretty much every newspaper office that I visited. You know, what feeling were you left with, Jeremiah, as you walked through some of these abandoned newsrooms? Because... This is pretty personal to me. You're talking to a guy who spent a career as an ink-stained wretch, and uh, this, 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 I could, I recognize so much of what you were fo- photographing. Yeah, thank you. You know, there's a photograph that also really um, comes to my mind and plays center. And thinking of your experience, this photograph has on the wall the names of the people that have worked at that newspaper in pencil Hmm. and then they're dated and those names go back into the early 50s as well wow and so you know here's a photograph that is showing me the present this kind of emptied space it's revealing the past through these names through the people that have worked there through the um, faded plywood where signs had hung and changed the coloration And the photograph is also beginning to allude to the future, a future in which these newspapers are no longer able to serve their communities. Hmm. And that picture also just really haunts me. I'm wondering, what did you hear from people at these small town papers who were still working at the locations you visited? What, What did they tell you about the state of their operations these days? Well, I, you know, I heard a lot of stories. I, I would, I, I talked to, I, 
every editor of the paper that I went into would have a different kind of story. But uh, one of them that particularly struck me was uh, I walked into the Newton Kansan on their 150th anniversary. Hmm. And I didn't plan that. That just happened to be the case. And the editor had told me he had tried to find another uh, news agency to cover the anniversary. Um, the television news, for instance, and he'd reached out to a few other people who uh, didn't have interest. And here huh. I am walking in on the 150th anniversary, <laughs> and I'm sharing so many of the same concerns as this editor who has seen his newspaper. He told me when he was hired, there were 34 people that worked for the Newton Kansan, and now there are just four. Wow. Wow. And so those kind of stories I would hear over and over again. And again, it just gave the project a real urgency for me. We'll be right back. I was going to say, you also found out that many of the new owners of some of these papers, which have been sold and sold again, seem to be, you know, far away, unconcerned with the communities they were supposed to be serving. What is that? Why do they feel that way? And how did you pick that up? Well, in the newspapers I was able to visit, those were local people that lived in those communities, and the doors were open. I could could go. The mid-sized cities in Kansas were the ones that were the most challenging, and they were uh, papers that were owned by outside corporations or hedge funds. And I would call and call and email and email, and no one would answer. I would go to the office and find that the office was locked, closed to the public. And I was, you know, just somebody unable to reach anybody (laughs) at the newspaper. Right. And and then other kind of mid-sized cities had lost their newspapers altogether. And so that made it all the more important for me to feature these newspapers in these small towns, towns that have a population of about 500 people, uh, like Coldwater, Kansas, like um, uh, Protection, Kansas. And they still had a local newspaper. And in many cases, the newspapers were have been in publication for 150 or more right, years. Right, right. Well, Jeremiah, why don't you hang on? We're joined now in the studio by Nick Matthews, uh, a professor at UMKC who studies rural and local media environments. I wanted to examine your findings, Jeremiah, and what they mean for rural newspapers across the country. Nick, nice to have you here on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Steve. You know, the loss of local newspapers, especially in rural communities, seems to be something we're hearing more and more about How common are these closures in Kansas and Missouri these days? Too common. Uh, Well, not specific to Kansas and Missouri, but, I mean, in the United States alone, there have been 500 rural newspapers that have closed or folded into another title since 2005. 500. So these newspapers are, as Jeremiah pointed out, they're shuttering. And this is leaving a huge impact on the communities that that they cover. I mean, so there have been 2,500 newspapers across the country, 2,500 total, that have shut down since 2005. So, I mean, you're looking at almost unequivocally the hardest hit segment of news organizations is local news and these smaller news organizations. What's the loss for a community when one of these papers shutters, Nick? You've been studying this for a long time. I mean, for a lot of these communities, right, these newspapers sort of represent the heartbeat of a small town, don't they? 
Absolutely. That's some of the, the key research that I have found is that the community – I've studied communities that have lost their newspapers. There was one out in Virginia I studied that uh, lost a 99-year-old product. It was a weekly newspaper there. And they talked about, just as you had said, they lost the heart and soul of the community. You know, they had lost the idea that this news organization made them feel special. Mm-hmm. So there's this small community that, frankly, the regional newspapers, the, the larger TV stations, et cetera, do not cover these smaller news organizations. But this, the weekly newspapers in these towns really made these people spe- feel special about where they lived. And so when that is not there the rural residents in some ways feel abandoned. I mean, there's no one, and they, you know, residents have told me that it makes them feel like they don't matter, that nobody's actually mm. paying attention to them, that they, ma- that they uh, matter. And they just don't have any sense of what's going on down the street anymore, right? I mean, it's, oh, absolutely. Uh, you, you just have a loss of just sort of the everyday common knowledge that people have living in a community. Right, absolutely right. So, I mean, if you think about it, when there's no news organization that provides the one-stop shop for what's going on in your community. If you're a resident, you have to go to city council websites or go to the city council meetings yourself. You have to go to school boards. You have to go to the different high schools. All these pieces that you have to do the work. You know, residents have told me in these these communities, they have to actually act, act like reporters themselves. Huh. You know, life is harder for the residents in these communities when the newspaper goes away. And so there is is very much the emotional connection that you were talking about earlier. There's the informational connection, too. And then, you know, Jeremiah has talked at the very beginning about the the civic and democracy aspect of things, right? And so when you're looking at it, when the average person goes into a digital space to learn about civic engagement, they're going to come across one of two things, right? There's no need to panic. Or two... We are all going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. there's these two extremes. And the local journalism, these rural organizations really provide that nuance in between to offer this space for civic dialogue that is vital to what we live in as a society. So you mean there's a Walmart super center being built two blocks away? I didn't know that, right? That's, that's exactly, what you want exactly to find right. out, right? Exactly right. Um, what impact did the pandemic have on all this, Nick? Because I suspect it was a pretty sharp one when it comes to the closing of rural newspapers. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the last count I had looked at since the pandemic, there's been about 360 newspapers that have shut down across the United States. And so that's many of them are leaving, creating news deserts. So these are areas of the country that there are no news organizations that cover these communities. The one I mentioned in Virginia, the 99-year-old newspaper shut down, that created a news desert. So there are roughly about 200 counties in the United States that have zero news organizations covering them. You know, and if folks listening think that a news desert is only out in rural America, Mm -hmm. they might want to think again, because even here in the Kansas City area, some folks have argued that Wyandotte County is Mm -hmm. something of a news desert. There are parts of Johnson County that are something of a news desert. I mean, these things are in urban areas as well as rural areas. Right. And I've made that very same argument before, even even in larger metro areas. I've made that argument for like in, you know, cities like Miami or even New York or Chicago. There are segments of the population that do not get the coverage they need from those communities. So you can definitely argue that some of the some of those areas are news deserts as well. Absolutely. You know, we know that many of these communities are rural. Are there any other indications of places being most affected, Nick? Um, are there factors like social, economic, poor areas that mm-hmm. don't get covered as much? Maybe racial indicator, indicators that suggest when newspapers stay and when they go? Right. I mean, I think the inequality to quality news and information 
that inequality maps on other inequalities that we're seeing across the country already. Mm -hmm. So just as you're talking about between rural areas and, and more minority areas. Yeah. Do you see any trends in terms of who is buying some of the remaining rural newspapers that are still operating? In terms of the organizations? Holy cow, absolutely. So we're looking at, and the, Jeremiah talked a little bit about this, going into areas where the doors were shut and he couldn't be able to reach them. So we're looking at half the nation's newspapers are owned by seven companies. Wow. That's astounding. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in many ways, when the, the local news organizations are bought by Gannett or from someone from afar, you have to question in some ways, are they local in name only? As in the name of the news organization on the masthead is the only local element to it because content is being fed into the newspaper from afar and things like that. So the, those news organizations, they, they lack their local flexibility. And Jeremiah is saying he couldn't even reach uh, someone right. at the local newspaper when he made phone calls sometimes. And even, even more to the point, some of these news, lo local news organizations are selling their buildings, right? And so because the buildings themselves are valuable real estate. So, you know, the local newspaper, the, the, national, news orga the national organization is selling these local newspaper buildings out of the center of town in these places. So the, the local newspaper buildings in many ways are a reminder of the newspaper's prominence in the community. But when that newspaper sold or they have to move, you know, one resident told me when the news organization had to leave in Virginia is don't tell me this is a local paper anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, Jeremiah, I'm wondering what you hope that your project uh, does. And uh, I, I have failed to ask as a good talk show host should. Where can people come view the photographs you've taken? Well, right now, those photographs can be viewed on my website, which is JeremiahAries.com. Spell Aries for it. Yeah. That would be A-R-I-A-Z, so JeremiahAries.com, and the project is titled The Fourth Estate, and I hope that uh, I'll be able to bring them to the Kansas City area for exhibition in the coming years, so um, stay tuned for that. But just speaking about the uh, newspaper's role, place in the, on the main streets of these communities, one aspect of the project has been to photograph the front facades of each of these newspapers, because I want to literally show them on their main streets at the center of town. And that becomes uh, uh, kind of a, a, another layer to this work while also creating a portrait of Kansas. Huh. You know, Jeremiah, my, my newspaper career began not in Kansas, but in Illinois, in northwest Illinois, at a small town uh, called Freeport. And my wife and I went back a couple of years ago, and that newspaper office now is no longer. I think it's a fabric store. And I got to tell you, when I walked up to that building and saw the transformation in it, it was like a punch to the gut. I just couldn't believe what I was looking at. Well, you said a punch to the gut, and uh, the people that I've heard the most from uh, from these photographs are people that used to have worked in these newspaper offices, and that is the response over and over again, this gut punch of seeing those spaces vacated, of this visualization right. of that loss is makes it palpable. You know, Nick, uh, if newspapers are disappearing is anything emerging to take their place? Certainly trying, right? So, I mean, we're, we're seeing the rise of digital startups, digital local news startups. You know, since 2000, uh, 2020, there were 700 local digital news startups. 
So that's up from you know 120 in 2010. So that's a huge rise. Right. However, there are a couple caveats. 20% of them, only 20% of them are financially stable. Hmm. 90% of these digital startups are in metro areas or state capitals. Wow. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. So maybe that's not an answer either. Mm, yeah, exactly. That's Nick Matthews. Uh, he's a colleague of mine uh, who studies rural and local media environments at UMKC. Also joined by photographer Jeremiah Arrays. Uh, again, you can go to his website to see his great work uh, shooting photographs of these rural newspapers. Jeremiah, thank you so much for your time. Nick, appreciate it very much. Thank you for thank having me. Up to Date is produced by Zach Wilson, Reginald David, Elizabeth Ruiz, Zach Perez, and Hannah Cole. Our intern is Claudia Brancart. Our announcer and engineer is Paul Nakatura. Our theme music is composed and performed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.